you got to pursue something that gives you life that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning. Welcome back to another episode of The Lodges Podcast. The Lodges Podcast. Welcome back. You have to get creative. Like, your content can't just be like you sitting there. I have to, you know, master this D-list athlete if I'm going to get to C-list, to B-list, to A-list. whole slogan was basically, you're famous enough just being yourself. Just be you. A ruthless pursuit to, to be the best. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to episode 53 of the Lodges podcast. Today's uh, guest is Justin Varghese. He is the North American marketing manager for DreamHack, a esports broadcaster. And Justin, I know you're also a podcast co-host yourself. So uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. And, and nice job on the last name. Definitely <laughs> took no prep work beforehand or anything like that. Just nailed it on the no. first try. <laughs> no, you know, I, I have, you know, I have a talent for last names and, and, you know, you know, being a podcast host, you got to know how to do those. So. Yeah. I, I, uh, I definitely thought that this was the logs podcast until you corrected me as well. <laughs> so good to know we're, we're, we're all in the same boat right now. Just, just, just figuring out how to pronounce basic things. It's, it's, simple right <laughs> that's like that's like podcast 101 you know the pronunciation of everything yeah it's important craig uh, knows craig knows how important it is yeah, craig definitely knows yeah <laughs> shout out shout out to craig the recording bot we got with us oh <laughs> um, great dude yeah no solid guy really really stellar gives me the best high quality recording that i that i can get so and shout an out easy to name to to pronounce too craig who's gonna butcher craig you know, <laughs> this is true. I never thought about that. They could have named the bot some. They should have named it something difficult to yeah. just, just confuse people. Like Vargis, that would have been difficult. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have. Wow. Oh wow. well. Anyways, we're already off on a, a good start here, uh, going down, <laughs> going down rabbit holes. But, yeah. um, but no, let's let's kick it off. Um, and and I guess kind of always where guests start off, you know, which is a good place to start to kind of give everyone context who's listening. Um, if you just want to talk a little bit, like you know, who you are, where you're from, what you do, uh, you know, whatever your your background story might be, uh, I think that'd be a good place to kick it off. Yeah, I, I know that we have a limited amount of time, so I'll give the SparkNotes version okay. uh, so as not to monopolize everything. Uh, yeah, so my name is Justin Varghese. I'm the North American Marketing Manager for DreamHack. Um, and for those of you who may not be familiar with DreamHack, uh, DreamHack is the premier gaming lifestyle festival. Uh, our team, you know, whenever there wasn't a global pandemic, um, would do uh, about 15 shows in nine different countries with an estimated global attendance upwards of 350,000. Um, and on top of that, we also do a ton of high quality tournaments and, and broadcasts uh, remotely as well. Um, in fact, as we're recording this right now, we're getting ready to kick off uh, our Fortnite series that we're uh, working with Epic on. Uh, I think when I last checked, we had 260,000 players that were registered to compete in that, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Not going to lie. Wild. Yeah. Power of the internet, right? Um, <clears throat> before I, I, I started off with DreamHack, my start in the esports space, uh, was not glorious at all. Uh, I was working <laughs> uh, as a play-by-play -play commentator in the back of a used game store um, covering Super Smash Brothers. Nice. Uh, and eventually got to the point where I went from doing that uh, at night while working a technology sales job during the day um, 
and, and doing this commentary work for no money. I got to the point where eventually I was making less than minimum wage for my time. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved it. And so I kept doing it, um, ended up actually progressing pretty well in the world of commentary, went from just covering one game to doing about a dozen different titles and, and working with companies like Activision Blizzard and the Pokemon Company uh, on a variety uh, of different events. Um, and it's it was a really, really great. Um, I got to meet a, a ton of really amazing people, built a lot of strong relationships in a lot of different communities. And uh, ultimately, that allowed me to have the job that I have now with DreamHack. Uh, one thing that's very unique about DreamHack um, especially when you talk about the esports space as a whole, I, I like to think that most esports products and most esports events typically function like, right, in the sense that there's one main stage and everybody's there for this one thing, right? So for Overwatch League, everybody's in the arena for one thing, and that's Overwatch, right? Mm -hmm. um, for uh, LCS, it's League of Legends, etc. Um, DreamHack is unique in the esports space because we're publisher agnostic um, and we're much more akin to a festival, which means that instead of having one main stage with just one game at, at each of our shows, uh, we'd have anywhere from seven to 12 different main stages, each with a different game or different genre of games on that stage. So that gives you like this really interesting Petri dish of sorts of everything that's happening within the world of esports. It's an awesome microcosm where you'll see uh, a really grand stage with 16 of the best Counter-Strike players in the world competing for a $250,000 prize pool. And then a short walk away, you'll see uh, a fighting game stage where it's a little bit more grassroots and they're playing for maybe a prize pool of $10,000, right? Um, and I think that those kinds of things are really important because it just gives you a really keen idea on the the different sizes, scopes, and scales these various communities can have. Uh, and I think it really showcases all of the hidden potential that maybe people don't talk about whenever they're just reading the term sheets and things like that, uh, or give it, giving a broader case overviews, if you will, uh, of our space. Yeah, you got two different spectrums. Um, yeah. I guess there are two different calibers, classes, whatever you might want to call it. Um, <clears throat> full disclosure, I guess too, and I don't even know that I mentioned this to you. I've yet to be go to a DreamHack event, so obviously I know all about them. Um, but I haven't even gone yet. But uh, they look pretty high energy, like the like you were saying, kind of how you were describing it. There's literally it seems like a bunch of different things going on at once, and I guess you kind of just venture and and, and navigate your way through, I guess whatever interests you that day, or, or I guess whatever catches your eye. But um. It looks pretty crazy, and we'll get into, I guess, talking about on on your side and, and your role, how you go, how you go about marketing an event like that, um, which I'm sure will be interesting to hear about. Um, I guess before we do that, real quick, do you have? Because I know, like you mentioned, you've been able to speak at a lot of panels and events and conferences. You did, I guess, your entrance was, you know, in broadcasting and all that. Any any tips? I always like to, you know, let the let the guests speak for for anyone who's maybe listening and and are and are looking to do any roles like this. Any tips for anyone that's, you know, looking to get speaking engagements in gaming and esports, or are looking to, you know, broadcast and cover a couple games. Any tips you have for anyone like that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's gonna sound really condescending, but just start doing it. I mean, it it really comes down to that. Uh, 
So, you know, for, for me personally, right, whenever I started doing commentary work, I didn't come and, and, and show up and, and, you know, have like a, a radio and television and film background or anything like that. You could probably tell by just listening to how I speak and how high pitched I am that I do not have the traditional radio voice or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a ton of passion for the game. And I think that that really shined through to the folks that I was talking with um, who were kind of putting on these productions. Uh, and I was lucky enough one day to just get a shot from them based on our previous conversations. Uh, and I took that and took what I thought would be, you know, like me being able to cover just one game, but they really liked me. And I ended up closing out the night for them doing three hours of commentary straight the first time I had ever done it for oh, wow. anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and again, the, I was able to do that just because I asked, I inquired, I tried to figure out, you know, how I could better myself um, and get to a position where maybe I'd even have a shot. So before I even got to that point where I, I would ask for that, um, I literally would stay at home and I would just mute videos that had commentary in them and so I wouldn't be able to hear anything and I would give commentary over that. And then I'd mm. try to compare and contrast what me, an amateur, would say about the game and contrast that with what somebody who was a seasoned veteran of commentary would say about the game, right? Right. Take notes on the differences in regards to how they talk about a play, how they frame something, the action that's going on, right? How they're able to have almost a pseudo future site, if you will, where when they start speaking, they already know how the play is going to end and they're able to formulate a thought as a result of that. <clears throat> and if something surprising happens, then that's a framework where they can then jump off and are able to inject true raw emotion because of the level of surprise that comes from a particular play. Um, again, like, you know, when it comes to, to commentary in general, um, the first thing is try to figure out what kind of a commentator you are. Uh, you could probably tell by listening that I like to talk a lot. <laughs> and whenever a, a conversation happens between two people, I'm typically the person who speaks first. Um, and so I'd be more akin to chair one, which is play by play. Right. But if you're somebody who maybe speaks second in a conversation and you're not as crazy about what's happening, but you really, your mind is more interested in why it's happening, you probably align closer to an analyst, right? Or, or a chair two color commentator. <clears throat> so being able to identify within yourself, okay, like where do I fall within the spectrum? Um, and how do I get better at working that crap? <clears throat> wow. That's, that was a weird time to have, <laughs> you know what? This is, this is a, a rookie mistake. I ate yogurt this morning, which whenever I was doing commentary full-time, I know you got to stay away from the dairy before you do any speaking, but been that a hot minute since I've done commentary, right? Um, <laughs> but I digress. Um, being able to identify who you are as it pertains to your potential role in the chair allows you to figure out what are the skill sets that I need, what are the skill sets that people uh, are looking for, and and how do I continuously hone that craft over and over again? Um, it's a long, arduous process. You have to be really critical of yourself. You have to take a lot of notes on the 
inevitable amounts of criticism that you will get whenever you start doing this because you will be trash no matter how how much you prepare. <laughs> um, but as long as you keep working at it and you make it a point to just grow cast after cast after cast, you'll really get somewhere when it comes to the space. Nice. No, no, I love it. And, and I love the the tip of of muting uh, a cast and, and kind of doing it on your own and then comparing it. That's, that's a really interesting tip. Um, I've never heard anyone say that before. So I think that's pretty cool. So there's a there, there's a good tip for anyone listening who who might want to, you know, figure out how to get into it. Um, so you did the casting. How long did you do the casting for before? I guess you got to was it DreamHack that was the next company you worked for after doing some casting? I guess. Yeah. How did your timeline work for that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I was casting from, let's see, I think it was November of 2014, I believe. Yeah, November uh-huh. of 2014. Um, and then I, I was doing that. I get scooped up by DreamHack um, in January of 2019, just a couple of months before their first event in Dallas, DreamHack Dallas, okay. uh, which is where I'm from. So go figure. Um, <clears throat> but I, it's funny, I guess I totally forgot to mention this. My first time working with DreamHack was not whenever I was hired to be their marketing manager for North America. It was actually to do commentary for them at DreamHack Austin uh, in 2017. Go figure. Yeah, and, and even okay. back then, whenever I was just, uh, you know, pretty fresh in my commentary journey. I remember that announcement that DreamHack was coming to the States for the first time uh, to Austin. I remember watching that and thinking immediately, this is end game content, right? I have to find a way to do commentary at this event because I understood as an esports fan, just the magnitude of the event itself, right? And so now, even now to, to think that that was the goal back then and to actually not only have done commentary, but actually work for the company full time is a dream come true for sure. It's uh, incredible, man. No, that's really, that's cool how that kind of all aligns then like where you, where you got to do the commentary for them and then you end up working for them later down the road. So that that's pretty awesome. Um, so how did you, and I guess now that we can start to get into DreamHack and, and your role and all that, um, how did the opportunity come up to, you know, go to DreamHack and then what does your day-to-day look like as, you know, North American marketing manager? Like what are the couple, you know, so what are some of the things you do? Um, you know, what does your day in day out look like, I guess? Yeah. <clears throat> so the opportunity, um, when it came to DreamHack was, uh, man, <laughs> I still can't believe things worked out though so nicely the way that they, they did. <laughs> because it, it, it is an interesting story on how um, important it is to uh, really make the most of the relationships you're able to build mm-hmm. uh, and, and be available at the right place at the right time, right? Right. Um, so f- I remember, you know, I was doing commentary, but still also holding down a, a traditional nine to five at the time. And it was getting to the point where I knew that I just wanted to work in the industry full time, right? That was really the the end goal of mine was just figure out a way to be able to transition to, you know, instead of doing this job that I really don't care for for my nine to five, just have a shot at being able to do something I love on the weekends, figure out a way instead to just make it so that I could do what I love as my nine to five. Right. So I had right. a lot of feelers out 
uh, on LinkedIn, um, just trying to uh, find uh, specific jobs that were tied to the space and whatnot. I, I was very fortunate um, that I was able to connect with a ton of different folks as well that was in the industry, um, just from the work that I did and whatnot. Um, and it just so happened that one of those search filters that I had set up on LinkedIn for their uh, jobs platform uh, happened to kick back that DreamHack was looking for uh, a marketing manager for North America. And so I connected with the uh, current marketing manager for, for NA um, who ha had just tendered uh, their resignation and was getting ready to leave the company after uh, DreamHack Atlanta 2018. Um, and we actually built a, a, a pretty good relationship ahead of time. I, I got to learn a little bit more about what the role entitled, what he was looking for, what the company was looking for, et cetera. Um, and so whenever I actually came around to applying for the role, um, I was able to, I think, put something that that stood out, uh, stood out enough to the point where I got a phone interview, uh, ended up being flown out to DreamHack Atlanta, actually, uh, for my on-site interview, got to meet the team. It was incredible. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And <clears throat> things somehow worked out. I got very, very lucky because I think that something that a lot of people maybe don't know is I was not the first choice, funny enough. I was actually hmm. passed on um, after the uh, interview. And that was because when you look at my resume, you won't find a single title that has the words marketing in it, right? Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and they had a, a really strong candidate who had like a lot more traditional marketing experience than me. But I was fortunate in the sense that he ended up getting an insane offer from PepsiCo. Uh, they ended up reaching back out to me. Um, I did a, a final, final round of interviews and ended up getting the position. Um, and, you know, there was definitely a chip on my shoulder with that in mind. Uh, and definitely a, a lot of questions, what with the show moving from Austin to now it's first year in Dallas and whatnot. Um, but we actually did a great job. and before the doors had even opened for Dallas, it was the largest event that we had ever done in the Western Hemisphere from a revenue perspective. And so okay. it, uh, it all worked out very, very fortunately. And I, I was definitely <laughs> lucky, you know, it was all, all a huge learning experience. I'm still learning a lot every single day. Um, I think even more so now during the times that we're living in, to say the right. least. No, no. Well, well, first off, good old LinkedIn. You know, if 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 anyone's listening, there's a lot of professionals in gaming esports on LinkedIn, so it's always, I think, a great resource. Um, but no, that's that's really interesting, and and that's cool. Have you, I guess, have you carried that chip on your shoulder like throughout? I guess your first year and a half, like, is that kind of still something you carry with you to just you know make sure you're? You seem like a go getter already, but I can imagine chips on your shoulders probably you know get you going even more. Yeah, <clears throat> you know. I I don't know. I think that it's 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 kind of important to yeah to keep all these things in mind, right? Um, especially if if somebody tells you that you know you can't do something and it's not necessarily done in a way where like it's benefiting you, right? Um, I do feel like it's it's really important to 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 work really hard to prove people the other way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember you know even whenever I was starting commentary, right? I had a friend of mine saying like, <clears throat> what are you doing? Like, like doing this, you're, you're moonlighting at, at, at night. 
right? You're not getting any sleep because you're you're doing this commentary stuff, uh, you know, from like seven to two a.m. and then you're waking up at like five five thirty six to go to your job at seven. Um, <clears throat> like, what what are you doing with all of this, right? <laughs> like, like there's there's no way this could eventually become something. And I remember like thinking about that a lot and using that to kind of fuel me to be able to work really hard so I could make something out of it. Right. Right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times when you, know, some people, whenever they have chips on their shoulder, it, it, it comes from like a very malicious place to a degree. Mm-hmm. Right. Like maybe somebody was, was really crappy to them growing up. Um, they could have had like a parental figure that was just like, I do not support you at all in regards to what you're doing or anything like that. I've been fortunate that, my chips are not that by any means, right? Yeah. It's it's more so just a way where I think that I'm naturally kind of a competitive person. And so if you can, to a degree, almost like wrestling style, like rivalry, sensationalize that a little bit, right? Like then it, then it gets you going, right? Because then it's almost like uh, you have like a pseudo rival that's within yourself that you can best, which I think is... It- is just such a such an interesting concept. No, it definitely is. I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I guess when I've had chips on my shoulder, like you're saying, it's not been something malicious. It's been kind of like more so like a small comment that then I hype up in my head. And because I've hyped it up so much in my head, then it like adds this extra edge. And I don't know. That's that's how I've carried myself sometimes with things, but I mean, I I think it's good because I mean, you know, if you look at the gaming and esports industry, I mean, it's pretty competitive. It's it's young. It's it's fast paced. So, um, I mean, I think all those things weigh as strengths for. And I mean, you obviously landed a great job. So, uh, like you said, it seems like everything worked out. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Uh, uh, I definitely got lucky, you know, <clears throat> and I yeah. feel very lucky during these times too, man. Like it's uh, right as you can imagine, it's a it is a wild time to be working in the event space. Yeah, no, I, I want I want to get into that because I, I can imagine and I know when we talked last week, we talked like a little bit about it, but obviously we want to talk about it on the podcast. Um, how have things shifted, I guess, since, you know, or, or maybe even to be interesting to hear about, like, you know, right at the kick of COVID, you know, what were what were the thoughts between you and your team and, and, and those at DreamHack? And then, you know, kind of like where are you guys at now with with everything? Obviously, we've had months of dealing with this and, and people are adjusting, I guess you could say. Um, what has that been like? I guess that would be pretty interesting to hear about. <clears throat> Sorry, remember when I told you uh, don't eat yogurt before you come on and do any <laughs> speaking thing? Still feeling that. Um, You're good. Yeah, it's, it's, You're good. It's, it's, it's been tough, man. Honestly, it's been really tough. Um it is kind of crazy for me to to think that for a lot of folks, DreamHack Anaheim was the last big gaming event that a lot of folks went to, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was late February. You know, back then there was maybe like, you know, five cases in the States, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Feels- we had just started, yeah. We had just started, right? Um. And I remember even back then, like just thinking about all of our big plans, you know, Dallas uh, was going to be an absolutely massive show. We had um, great partnerships lined up and things like that. And then the, I think the, the spread really amped up and things got really bad. And it went from us 
making the decision to move Dallas from May to August to now postponing it all the way to next year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, along with our, our our one of our landmark events in Sweden as well. And it's just been very, very tough, I think, um, not only for us, but for event planners around the world. And I mean, I don't know if you saw, but I think South by Southwest, you know, they couldn't do their event for one, you know, one time. Yeah. And as a result of that, they had to lay off like a third of their staff or something, you know, and it's it's tough because, you know, when when you think about live events in general, right, people think specifically about, um, you know, the event organizers themselves. Right. Um, And. I don't think that people really recognize the larger ecosystem of people that it takes to put on an event, right? Um, if you look away from DreamHack for a second and just look at, um, you know, maybe sporting events or concerts or anything like that, people who are hair and makeup artists for live events, right? True. Yeah. They don't have a job anymore. Um, roadies definitely don't have a job anymore. You know, AV people, people who sell merch, like there's a huge cascading of ripple effect that that's happened because of all of this for sure and it's very very tough for for a lot of people um and i'm just very very grateful i think every day that i'm at least allowed to keep doing what i'm doing um though what i'm doing has changed pretty drastically uh one of the things that this virus um has allowed us to do um, and I think the silver lining to it for us anyways is, like I said, in, in the past, like we were doing 15 shows in nine different countries. It was breakneck pace back to back to back to back. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and now it's almost like, you know, we have time finally for the first time in a long time to get started and, and really kick off a lot of the things that we thought, Hey, that'd be a great idea. It's too bad. We're too busy right now. Like now we have time to address all of those things right now. We have time to, I think, lay foundations. So whenever we do come back, we can put on the best festivals we've ever put on by a long, long margin. Right. Um, so, so some of the things that we've been working on in, in that sense, um, uh, is is a little bit different from a lot of other folks in the industry. I think industry wide, what's really popular right now is, hey, we're canceling our our in person event this year, but we're gonna do a virtual event instead. Right. And 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 while I feel like those have their time and place and they can provide some value, in my mind, um, and, and definitely in the mind of our global creative director Justin Burnham, the problem with those kinds of events is. They're something that you do as kind of a filler for one day, right? Like the impact is, oh, um, we're doing this this online version of our event. The impact of that event is is really limited to that weekend, and it reaches a much smaller subset than your general event normally would have, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 not something that necessarily has, in our opinion, anyways a very significant long-term impact, right? Right. So yeah, we're pop doing... up, come and go, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so what we're doing instead is we're taking the time right now to build out a ton of different digital initiatives that are not limited to just one day or one weekend, right? 
we're trying to create these digital products and initiatives that live year long that we can also incorporate into our festivals whenever they come back as well, right? Um, I think the, you know, one thing that, that I've, I've been saying for a while and, and the whole team is, is really behind now also is this concept where instead of looking at it as DreamHack Dallas or DreamHack Atlanta or DreamHack Summer, DreamHack Winter, right? Look at it more like DreamHack 365 because the, the big challenge for a lot of people in the event space, us included, is for a majority of our base, we're a weekend, Right. Like, like the, the amount of in, the engagement that people typically give events, it's, it's on a very cyclical sort of cycle. Wow. Cyclical cycle. I could have probably said that a little bit better, um, but, but, <laughs> but it is very cyclical in nature um, in the sense that you announce your event, right? Right. Six months before or nine months before or whatever. Right. And there's like, whoa, all right. I'm so excited. It's coming back. And then energy simmers down. It's bubbling, bubbling, bubbling starts to get a little bit more exciting with every big announcement that you make. Um, and then eventually it all comes to the event itself. And that's maximum energy, maximum engagement, right? People are extremely excited uh, to be going to the event and whatnot. And they're talking about it nonstop while they're at the event, taking a lot of selfies, a lot of pictures, right? It's high energy. And then the event ends for the week after. It's almost that, man, I really miss whenever... This event was happening, you know, it's 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 the nostalgia factor to a little bit, and then it's radio silence for <laughs> the next uh next, you know, the next six one. months or so, right? Right. And then it repeats over and over again. <clears throat> so for us, like the idea is if we're able to create these digital initiatives, then we have a way where we kind of break that cycle, right? We get all the benefits of the cycle, but instead of like that, that 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 radio silence of sorts, people are tuned in they're engaged with the brand year long and that in turn creates stronger brand loyalty as well as a really nice snowball effect of sorts right somebody in the past maybe has heard about our events because a friend went the year before right or they saw a vod or something like that though specifically from the event right mm -hmm. and that's great but now if there's digital initiatives that are, are, that kind of exists outside even of the scope of a, of a normal festival, right? If there's those kinds of content pieces, somebody could be a fan of the content pieces first and then be like, oh, wow, they actually do all these big festivals too. That's cool. I'd love to see a live version of this. And it's another way to just bring in more people. And I think that sort of stuff is, is super cool, right? It's, it's the only thing that you can do during these times is just try to figure out a way where you can just make your product better. And I, I'm really glad that we're laying the groundwork to to do that in so many different ways. Yeah, no, that's that's actually really smart and and kind of cool, like you're saying, where it snowballs into because I don't know, I feel like during this time, like a lot of companies and and I don't I don't know if you even want to just say rec necessarily the event space, but you could do something that's kind of like a one off, but then like when you go back to normal, like you know, there really won't be anything like that. But I think that's cool how you guys are kind of thinking like, okay, what's something we can do now that's, you know, continuous. And then that same strategy actually rolls like back into our events and it all becomes one. I think that's pretty, I think it's pretty creative and smart. Cause then it's not like you just had this one-off event that was like kind of random and it was just kind of like, yeah, this is what we did during COVID. And then we like completely flipped the switch and, and went back to something else once, you know, COVID was gone. So um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, man. <clears throat> Um, what would, 
I, I guess so. You guys have, it seems like you have a lot of like creativity going on right now. And and you talked about how, you know, you guys kind of have time to do things that maybe you wouldn't in the past since it's kind of like one event after the other. Um, any specific challenges like in your role as, you know, marketing manager that you have found during COVID? And then I know also we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like how you view marketing. I think we had talked about that on the phone last week when we were talking that you kind of have an interesting perspective on how you view marketing or how you go about your role. Um, so if you want to talk about that, I think that'd be pretty cool to hear about. Yeah. Um, well, well, during COVID, the, the biggest change has been um, really away from moving away from events focused marketing since, you know, at the moment we, we haven't been able to do any events and mm-hmm. trying to retailer it into more, I guess, big picture, long-term brand focused marketing, right? Because whenever you're doing events-based marketing, a lot of it is really the, you know, it, it's pretty simple when you think about it, right? Like your job is just butts and seats, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that is your, your end all be all, KPI is how many people were you able to bring to the event itself, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> but now what the, the focus is, has really shifted to really making it so that it's more about how our brand can be pushed out to all these different groups of people and stay relevant, not only with the groups that we currently have, but also the groups that we would like to reach in the future. And, and that is, of course, tricky to a degree because as a company, you know, I think that our strongest suit, our strongest card really is uh, the actual festival aspect, right? right? That's, that's I think, probably like what one of the things that we're really most known for, especially uh, among our base. Um, and uh, I'd put our broadcast capabilities very high up there also, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, we've been really grateful that some awesome partners have, have recognized that as well. Um, but now as, as a marketing person, for me, it's, it's really all about like, okay, if we still have these broadcasts happening, which are great, we don't have any festivals. How are we supposed to reach folks in a way where we can get them really excited about our brand? Uh, say, even on days where we might not have a broadcast happening, right? What are ways we can be really creative with the kinds of content that we're making and things like that, right? So for me, I kind of break it down into a couple of different elements, right? Um, One would be what our social presence looks like. I think that trying to figure out how we can make it so we have a really engaged community uh, on all of our platforms, whether it's Twitter or Discord, uh, or anything I think is very important during these times, right? Because it, it's it's a lot of doom and gloom out there, right? Um, yeah. And we know that we have a community already because they come out to our shows en masse. So now the idea is like, okay, well, how do we flip the switch and get them to hang out like they would in person at our festivals and and do so instead online using our brand as sort of the conduit for that, right? So that's a huge component of it is, is trying to figure out all of that. Um, the, the second aspect uh, is really tied primarily to our, our digital products. So a lot of that is working really closely with creative and, and figuring out, okay, what are some great digital initiatives and products that we can start off, you know, you know, relatively low key, but eventually scale them up to the point where 
they will become big content pieces at the festivals whenever we're able to do those again. Um, and so there's a lot of strategy work kind of behind the scenes around that, trying to figure out, okay, what are we doing well with these products? How can we make it so that we can optimize them a bit more? How do we take advantage of the strengths that we as DreamHack have with um, the relationships that we have and the company itself to make it so that we can take the little seeds of product that we have now and really help them blossom into something magnificent over time. Um, it's it's a lot of work around that in, in particular. Uh, I think yeah. that when it comes to marketing as a whole, that's a whole other conversation, man. Because <laughs> do you want like the pre-COVID answer or the post-COVID answer? It's, I think I, they're both relevant, but... <laughs> I think they're both relevant. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. start with what your pre-COVID outlook was and then kind of, you know, you can transition into how it's obviously, I'm, I'm sure, shifted now after all this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Pre-COVID was really, really interesting for an event like ours. So if, if we go back a little bit um, to DreamHack, I'd say that our biggest strength, being the fact that it's such a diverse festival, is also the biggest challenge that we have innately, to a degree, from a mm -hmm. marketing standpoint, right? Because if if you're doing just one thing then it's really easy for you to build out a marketing plan that captures that one specific audience and demographic to a T, right? Right. Like it's very easy for you to just go all in on the marketing engine and just being like, this is what we're doing. And this is the demo that we have. For me, and this is, I think, something that is applicable pre and post COVID, every single content piece that we do, I really try to think critically and, and figure out, okay, the people that we're looking to, to reach with this, what do they look like? What are their interests? Um, what kind of people do they hang out with? Where do they hang out? All that kind of stuff, like all that data in regards to the breakdown or the idea, or the collage of what this person might look like or what, the, what this group of people might look like that would enjoy this particular content um, is super important. Because once you have the idea in regards to what they look like, then you can make really targeted marketing pieces and content pieces that reach these folks, right? Um, a lot of that also deals with how you package and bundle information together. Um, I'll give you a good example. Let's say that back whenever we could do events and things like that, uh, we had a fighting game tournament, right? Okay. So a fighting game tournament has typically a much more grassroots audience. Um, you know that fighting game players, uh, you know, what they love first and foremost is fighting games, but they have ties to different elements as well that they're fans of. Like fighting game players tend to love cosplay, for instance, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because they, they tend to also really like things like anime, right? Um, they're big into music. So you can take all that information together and all of a sudden push out that there's a fighting game tournament as the primary, right? That's the hook that gets them initially. That's the main reason that they come. But then you have these secondary pieces that you target to them also that around things like cosplay as well as a music night. And now it's a much more fleshed out package that makes it so not only are they making that initial purchasing decision, but when they come on site, 
It's something where because they know to look for these content pieces and they most importantly see how well our team executes these content pieces at a high level, they'll keep coming back, right? It's a thing where they'll come for the fighting games because you were smart in regards to how you package together these other secondary and tertiary elements that you know that these people are also really interested in. It makes it so that it's a very compelling thing where now it's not somebody just showing up for just a tournament, right? Now you're giving them an onus to explore and not only see these other content pieces that you pushed at beforehand, but also kind of have that joint figuring out what else they can find along the way that piques their interest. And I think that that's maybe one thing that a lot of folks maybe don't do enough of whenever it comes to marketing, right? They kind of set like really broad campaigns that are kind of set it and forget it. But if you can be really focused in regards to the exact kinds of folks you're looking to reach with a campaign, then all of a sudden your whole strategy shifts. And it's it's not so much now like how do we make one catch-all that fits 18 to 25 folks who are into gaming. Then the conversation switches more so to how do we make it so that we can get the right content to the right person at the right time with these specific mediums. And being able to kind of put those ideas and concepts and, and groups of people into buckets, if you will, where you can really target them with the right kinds of information is hypercritical. Um, especially when you're talking about an event like DreamHack, which instead of having one thing, might have anywhere from, from 30 to 50 specific touch points where we can really focus people in on different activities and whatnot. No, that was that, that was really well broken down and kind of how you how you explain that. I mean, it makes sense to me. And so I guess for you guys, because like you're saying, you've got like 40, 50 things going on, I guess you just create a lot of those, right? I guess you create one, like you're saying, maybe it's for those in the fighting club and maybe then it's another one for Fortnite. And then you have Fortnite as the main thing and you put some other stuff in the back, like you explained it. And it's other interests that those who play Fortnite competitively or have a passion for Fortnite would have. Um, so I guess you guys, you just create like a bunch of those. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Make it really okay. focused. Right. Yeah. Cause, Cause the more focused you can be in the, and the more you understand the communities that you're speaking to, right. Then the more compelling your marketing can be because they'll know like, damn, this feels like it was created just for me. Like for, yeah, for me, yeah. like the, the end goal is I want everybody who comes to a DreamHack event to feel like their thing that they're most interested in is the shining star of our event, right? Right. And you can do that with great execution on site, um, which our team knocks out of the park. We're so lucky to have such an amazing team that does that all the time, uh, which means that the only other factor then is on me uh, and the comms team to make it so that we can have really compelling marketing company that. And so if you have both of those pieces put together, then it results in, uh, I think, absolute dynamite. Yeah, no, you knock it out of the park. W would you say, because I, I wanted to ask her, and I think we had talked about that yet, but this sounds like some of it. Is that like a lot of what your day-to-day day -day looks like then is like putting together these, I don't know you would call them, or packages or whatever of different marketing packages that hit, you know, that hit different niches and, and different groups of people? Is that what a lot of your day-to-day -day looks like? Or is there is there something else that takes up a lot of your time or anything else you can highlight there? Yeah, um, I think that before you can put together packages and things like that, it's really important to understand the groups that you are targeting, right? Mm -hmm. okay. um, so whenever I was you know, working very event focused, a lot of my day to day would actually be very conversation oriented, right? Whether it's building relationships with a tournament, tournament organizer who 
hosts local and regional Smash tournaments, or if it's somebody uh, who's maybe C-level at a school district, right? Who mm-hmm. is really interested in bringing a ton of kids to a festival, right? Or if it's uh, a university esports president or something like that, right? All these different groups, it's really important to have a very good conversation with these community leaders because in their own way, I view them as influencers, right? They might not have the the zeros next to their Instagram followers or whatever <laughs> to, to, to say that they're influencers, but in my mind, they are influencers more than a ton of folks will give them credit for because they can make a couple of moves and all of a sudden you have a whole community that is ready to not only come to your show, but more importantly, evangelize your show, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I really try to do is I try to sit down with, with people who I will identify as folks that have a great amount of influence, whether it's for just one community or a city or a school district or whatever. And I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with them and try to understand what they're looking for and how, most importantly, we can build them a better show, right? And then once I have that kind of feedback, I can take it back to the rest of our team and say like, well, this is, these are some of the things that they're looking for. Do we have anything planned around this that, that we think is compelling? Or I can take a look back and based on our existing product lineup and stuff like that, be like, okay, this is great feedback. Here's all the things that we have, right? Um, and here's what I think would be really important for, for you to know about. And it, it makes it so that the, the dynamic of the conversation is all of a sudden then so different too, right? Because now right. not only are you giving information, uh, very important pertinent information to folks that have influence, but more importantly, you're able to have a much clearer picture in regards to the kinds of folks you're building content for digitally, right? So again, right. like it's it's one of those ways where like you have this idea in your mind, like, okay, this based on based on these kinds of specific players, we know they like they like A, B, C. But then after you have the conversation with some of these folks, you can sit, you can kind of clarify that. And maybe B is more like a D, you know? And maybe with this specific subsegment, you can throw in an E instead, right? Once you yeah. have more and more clarity like that, it just again it makes it so that you can just have way more compelling content pieces, both uh, online in your marketing and then again at the show itself. It seems like you have to do a lot of listening from from their side to kind of like you're saying get their perspective and see what their interests are, and then like come back and align it to see what you guys had and and adjust and and I guess you can you just do that continuously for a bunch of different groups and a and a bunch of different demographics. Yeah, yeah, because 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 the idea is like you want to kind of grow the show with these different groups of people too. Interesting, you know. Okay. And I think no, that that's that's one thing. If I have to be critical about. Um, especially people who are maybe non-endemic to the space that are looking to do things in the space. That's the one thing that they take a shortcut on always, right? For them, they, they're just like, okay, well, we'll do a tournament around these games and we'll put like a $50,000 prize pool. And then they're really surprised when only like 40 people show up. And it's because they don't take the time to to reach out to these communities that they're looking to make an impact in and figure out, well, how can we be more impactful? And so a lot of things kind of get lost in the cracks. No, yeah, it, it makes sense. A lot of them want to run it like I guess how they're picturing it in their mind, and and they got this image and and vision for it. And you know, if they're not endemic to the space, a lot of the times the, that can completely fall apart. Especially like you're saying, if you're not listening to what people actually want and making sure that 
I guess what you think would be great is what other people would think is going to be great. Yeah. No, that's, that's super interesting. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot that like obviously goes in, in, into planning a, a dream hack event, but th- hopefully that provides like a little bit of a taste for, for everybody listening. Um, it, it's super, super interesting. Um, I know we talked a little bit already about kind of how, how COVID has impacted you guys. Um, well, as we start to, I didn't realize how fast time has already gone by. <laughs> um, I was to say we've almost been in an hour here. Um, I definitely wanted to, and I guess we can start to wrap it up with this. I got two questions for you. Um, first one is what would you say has been the coolest or, or most memorable dream hack memory that, that you've had to date? Coolest memory, DreamHack memory, man. That's really tough, honestly. Um, I, I figured it'd be tough. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> to, to nail down. It, it, it is very tough. <laughs> um, I think the for me probably one of the highlights was definitely uh, Dallas, right? Because I'm I'm okay. from Dallas. Um, being able to put that show together and and help help grow that show was an outstanding experience. Um, and I was very, very lucky that the team actually allowed me to speak at the ribbon cutting ceremony uh, oh, for wow. the Dallas okay. event itself. So um, I think the, uh, a member of the Swedish consulate was there as well as leadership from the, from the DreamHack team, um, some city leaders uh, in Dallas, uh, in various different areas were there as well. Um, and then there was me just <laughs> for whatever reason, just, You're just like I'm uh, here. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was really fortunate, you know, um, they saw I had a ton of passion and I got to say a couple of words on just how excited I was about the event and how much it meant for so many people to come through to that event itself. I mean, I mean, to this day, I'll, I'll still look at those pictures and have the dumbest smile on my face because it just <laughs> felt so good. Right. And it, it it really is one of those things where I, I can't stress this enough. Like we work a lot, but then like when it comes to that crunch time of the event itself and you're working so much and you, at times you're working so much, you almost forget like, why the hell am I doing this? And then when the event opens and you see the, the sea of folks that are there, they're just so excited. It, it really crystallizes that it's all worth it. Right. I think that it, it is these communities that give us so much life that make it so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Um, and to just see all of them is, is really, I think the most rewarding part of it all for me. No, definitely. Definitely. I, I can imagine after, and I'm sure you guys have a large team, obviously the pussies together, but I can imagine getting to be on the back end of that and, and months before it and, and working hard, like you're saying, grinding and kind of having your head down. And then you get to the event day and, and you just see people that are psyched to be there. And I'm sure that's, that's a cool feeling on the inside. Just be like, you know, I, I played a part in that and, and I had a role in, and hopefully making someone have, you know, a great couple of days. So that's pretty cool. Um, did you have family? Do you have family in Dallas, I guess, that, that attended the event? I do, but none of them have have had the chance to come to the event, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, okay. but but gotcha. I've had some some uh, very close friends come through, um, and they absolutely love it. They were definitely bummed um, that we we had to unfortunately postpone Dallas to next year. Uh, but you know, it, we all want to do events again. That's the thing is, it's, it should be no secret that everybody in the event space is itching to do events again. But we just really want to make sure that when we do it, it's as safe as possible, you know? Right. Um, and, and I think that 
you know, even if things work out and, and, and we're able to, to beat this thing sooner than later, uh, I do feel like this will change, you know, a, a lot about how events worldwide are kind of conducted. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that I can guarantee, though, is we will still have a home for all those people um, from all those different communities who hold DreamHack near and dear to them. Yeah, no, I, that that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming obviously there's going to be an impact even after we've beat COVID and, and after it's behind us. I'm sure you guys, I'm sure other live events, I'm sure, you know, music festivals, it's all going to look different for a while or i guess i don't know if it'll change you know indefinitely um with uh, with everything that's going on but um so you guys definitely also think that that post covid there'll be once you get back to your in-person events it'll be obviously a little bit different i think so um okay and i think that there's going to be definitely some changes um one thing that um it's funny, we were just talking about this on, on an episode of the DreamHack Download, our uh, our podcast that we just launched. But one of the things that we were talking about was how we can maybe reduce congestion uh, in the vendor area. So we're looking at things like, you know, wider aisles and stuff like that to make mm-hmm. it so that, you know, people aren't as close quarters necessarily in some of these high traffic areas, right? Right. Um, and I think that things like that are going to be be helpful for sure. But again, it it really is if I had to sum up everything I've said so far in this hour, it is again, just about listening, right? Listening to uh, the people that are coming to the event, listening to health officials, um, listening to folks at the city and, and, and kind of taking all that information and, and working together to figure out a way where when you come back, you can do so in a way that is incredible, super fun, amazing, and still safe. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that's, that, that, I think that perfectly words what everybody wants when, once, you know, we can go back to live events and all that. Um, but dude, this has been great. This has been super interesting. Um, I was, uh, we had, you know, when I was talking to you on the phone last week, I always try to diversify my guests and, and kind of their roles and things that they do. And, and like I had told you, we, we hadn't had anyone that had spoken before on the event space. Um, and what better, what better person to have than to represent a dream hack event and to come on and, and kind of share about your day to day and, and how you guys approach the events and, you know, obviously how COVID has impacted you guys. So I, I appreciate you coming on this. This was a lot of fun. Definitely very interesting to hear from a marketing mind, um, for, you know, what's, you know, one of the biggest gaming and, and esports events out there. So I, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, seriously, thanks for having me. It's been uh, a ton of fun for sure. And uh, I am glad that Craig wasn't around maybe to uh, (laughs) record some of our earlier conversations as well. (laughs) Maybe a little bit too spicy. Maybe we save those for another time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe we hit it on another another podcast episode or or we get another opportunity. Um, where can, we'll drop it for everybody that you guys are listening, especially for your returning list. You guys already know this on Apple. Uh, we'll have some of Justin's socials link, but Justin, just for those listening, where's the best way to follow you or connect with you on social media? Yeah, you can find me, um, at jvarg1990 on literally everything, uh, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. That's me. Um, I'm also on a podcast, uh, called the dream hack download, which is available on, um, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. Just search the DreamHack download. Um, it's also on YouTube as well. So if you want some more insights in regards to not only the gaming space, but also what we're doing as event organizers during this time, that's a great resource for you as well. 
Nice. Is is that podcast? Is that all people on the DreamHack team? Yes. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I was I was checking out a bit on on socials before we hopped on here. So yeah, definitely. If you guys are listening and and you want the insight scoop, uh, go check that out. But um, dude, thank you again. Uh, to all you guys listening, thank you guys for tuning into the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this with Justin and and are enjoying all the podcast episodes. And with that being said, we'll catch you guys next Tuesday for another episode of the Lodges Podcast. 